Welcome to Mastery Money, the educator's edition, where we will talk about the latest in financial literacy education. I'm Garth Sharif, a small business owner and financial literacy volunteer for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. CPA Canada provides no-cost programs and free online resources that help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This episode is part of our podcast focusing on helping Ontario small businesses get through the pandemic. Our guests will help us navigate through this new world, as well as provide insight on what the future may look like, including support and resources for small business owners. CPA Canada's sponsor for this Ontario Small Business Series is the Government of Ontario. Their support helps make this event possible. You can find our podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts. If you have any questions, you can get in touch with us at financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. Today, on November 12th, 2020, we are joined by Saida Fard, Senior Vice President of Finance at Point Click Care. Throughout her career, she has steered several teams through intricate and innovative change projects. She is here today to talk about future-proofing a business by walking us through how small business owners can prepare and plan for disruptions and being thrown off course. Thank you, Saida, for being here today. And you mentioned before I can call you Sai, so I will. And thank you for joining us and sharing your experience and insights. And in reading your bio and getting to know you, I'm fascinated by your career and your career journey. And I was wondering if you could start us off by taking us through your journey into the world of technology and digital transformation. Sure. So to start off, thank you to you as well for reaching out to recount some of the experiences that the questions that you had thrown my way have uh, got me thinking about. So thank you. In terms of a background on myself, I have just under two decade career. About a quarter of that career spans uh, organizations that are quite large, actually. So I started at uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers as uh, many CAs start out in the big four. I had about a three-year career span there, working with fairly large organizations in the financial institution sector. In leaving for industry, my first experience was actually with a Canadian icon, Canadian Tire, as a member of their finance team. So I spent in total about five years with large organizations looking at how they work, albeit from a fairly junior lens at the time in my career. So the second part of my career, and I'd say that the three quarters that have followed the years that I spent in large corporate experience, they have really focused a lot on uh, transformation. And they started with an eight-year, almost a decade, eight-year stint at an organization called MarketWired. MarketWired is now owned by NASDAQ, so you can, you can kind of tell where that story goes. So it was acquired at the end of my time there. And it was the first organization that really brought me into understanding the small and medium-sized space, which is very different than uh, what you gain as experience in large corporate Canada. 
In terms of background on MarketWired, they are an organization that offered media, PR, and IR solutions to the broader corporate community. And in that space, what I experienced is really seeing the maturity of an industry. So I joined at a time where close to double digit growth was taking place. There was an acquisition of a U.S. entity, which really gave the organization previously named CCN Matthews for anyone listening in that's a little bit more familiar with the older brand, really gave that organization the new name. And so I joined at a very interesting time and saw the integration of two players in that space and saw a couple of years of growth. And then the market changed. And I think most of us are familiar with how the media industry has been affected by the forces of maturity. And really during that time, I think I I got to experience a pivot. I, I got to experience how leadership in organizations that size looks at staying relevant, but also pivoting into new arenas. And an acquisition in 2010 was that pivot. So Sysimos, which is the organization that was acquired in 2010, was that pivot for MarketWire. And Sysimos, for anyone not familiar with that brand, which I assume most folks who aren't in marketing may not be, it is a media monitoring tool uh, using social media, really uh, understanding the analytics that social media can provide to brands, large brands like Unilever or Coca-Cola, and also smaller brands. So that pivot was an interesting point in my career. It brought me closer to the software industry, which is actually where I am right now. So it's the start of my career in software and technology. And it really was the beginning of understanding the forces of change because two organizations, you can imagine one very, very mature and another one having been acquired as essentially a startup, but with a significant amount of promise. Bringing those two organizations together, that was a huge part of the ride over the eight years that I was with this organization. And I really owe that stage of my career and the opportunities that came up in learning about transformation from both of those angles. Again, a mature uh, industry trying to reinvent itself and an organization much smaller, but with a lot of opportunity trying to, uh, to get to scale. And the intersections of those two worlds is really where I spent a lot of my time on issues such as, you know, incentive comp for sales and data and analytics. How do you glean insights out of what is previously just data? How do you create processes that lead to meaningful data and insights? And in looking back, I think that was that ride and what was essentially at the end taking apart these organizations. I'd worked very hard with management to put them together and to run parallel processes to make that happen. And there's a lot that comes with that. But really at the end, we actually took them apart. We sold MarketWire to NASDAQ and that marks the end of my time there. It also coincided with a bit of a personal journey. I I became a mother just following that acquisition. And so with that came a new career as well. But after that came a career as a CFO of a travel organization called Travel Edge and really working through essentially what was a three-year transformation journey in bringing together the back office of many small acquired entities that were being pulled together. The back office was amalgamated in Toronto during those years. And really a lot of the business partnering that 
you know, I took on in my career, a lot of understanding the value of finance to the front office, to really what takes place by executives as a result of the executive work that others outside of finance do, the business partnering side. A lot of that I learned during those three years. And then the last career journey before this one, I went back into software and joined an earlier stage organization called Tulip Retail. And Tulip Retail essentially is transformation for the retail industry in the form of technology. So you can kind of tie that back into the theme of transformation, which is something that I've been really thrilled to own in the last roughly 15 years of my career. So that brought me again back into the technology world. And that is actually where I am right now uh, with Point Click Care. I left Tulip, interestingly, just a month before the pandemic hit with no understanding of it and no crystal ball that this is going to happen, but left Tulip and I'm currently at Point Click Care, which is another software entity. It's, it's one of Canada's largest. And I'm here now as the SVP of finance. Sai, that's an amazing journey. And you've used a lot of tools and words that we're going to come back to pivot, uh, reinvention. And it's interesting that your career went from large corporate culture in Canadian Tire, then you went to Market Wired, Travel Edge, Tulip, and you've mentioned a lot uh, the word of transformation and technology. So we really want to investigate that and also becoming a parent that's also a part of the journey as well. So you've gone through a lot of change and seen a lot of change both personally and within the organizations that you've helped. And one of the questions I'd like to ask you is with the move into software, what have you seen as the role technology has played with the organizations that you've been in helping the transformation, helping uh, bring change to these organizations? So it's interesting thinking about the role that technology plays, which is the industry I'm in right now, but that the role that this industry plays in the success of the finance function. Even in the stages of my career where I have not been in pure tech play organization, so travel comes to mind, and even market wired in the earlier days before Systemos was acquired, even thinking through the years in my career that I haven't been in, in software, it's really clear in looking back that the organizations that are setting themselves apart from a back office perspective are the ones that are thinking through transformation, digital transformation, and the use of technology in reshaping the role that finance teams play. Those are the organizations that seem to be set apart. And at the core of what I've seen in my career, in, in the last 10 years in particular, prior to the pandemic, there's been a huge amount of focus that is coming to finance teams around the use of technology. And I think almost anyone listening with a leadership role in finance knows that the leadership roles in finance are actually changing quite quickly. And adoption of technology, really evaluating the value add tools and, and thinking through how exactly technology can be leveraged to ensure not just efficiency, but better insights for organizations. I think that's becoming a competitive advantage. And the role of the finance professional, the partnering role that we play, is going beyond just the numbers to becoming a technology adopter. 
an evangelist for the rest of the organization on uh, technologies that, again, enable better insights, not just on financial reporting, which is, I think, what classically finance professionals are uh, associated with, but really tools outside of what you consider the core, tools around whether it's BI, whether it's incentive management tools, um, whether it's tools that really tie us together with sales team, enterprise tools like Salesforce. It feels like every organization that I've been in has been having cross-group conversations around adoption of tools like Salesforce, plugins that really tie together different parts of our organizations and enable better decision-making, enable more efficient outcomes. And finance, I think, has been at the core of that. The organizations that I've seen, even just through my network, that have been able to set themselves apart on the digital transformation journey have had a really good partnership between finance as a function and the rest of the business. And their finance leadership has had a really good grasp of technology as an enabler. So we're moving beyond what we have traditionally held the role of the finance leader to. And the lines are blurring because technology is no longer a set of tools or decisions on adoption that are being made in a silo by the office of the CTO or just in product or PMO groups. Finance is actually playing a much bigger role in the, not just the adoption, but also the enablement of uh, the rest of the functions in the organization in utilizing the technology. That's really very interesting insight because for A lot of small business owners and small business entrepreneurs, this concept of digital transformation has been forced upon a lot of businesses because they've potentially haven't necessarily adopted some technology that might have been better for their business because they didn't necessarily have to. And because of the pandemic, they've been forced into this position where they either need to adopt technology or be open-minded to it. And you've seen a lot with the different organizations that you've been in. What would you say is a way of looking at technology positively? Because some small business owners might look at this and say, well, you know what, I might have to do that work myself. I might have to bring on a new accounting software or new customer relationship software. And it just seems like a lot. And they might be resistant to it, even though it can really be a difference maker in this pandemic to adopt these technologies. What might you say to them to just keep them open-minded to the importance of technology? So it's interesting, even before the pandemic hit, the organizations that were doing well in keeping the costs of delivering insights down, a lot of them have had figured this out earlier. There's actually a cost to late adoption. And I think this is something that we don't talk about often. I think a lot of you know smaller organizations, as they're thinking through the decisions, the cost benefit, they're not thinking about that cost, that late adoption cost as a true cost. And it really is one. It's not necessarily spelled out in the financial statements in the same way as other costs are. But it really factors into the growth and maturity curve that organizations have, their ability to capture more through better insights and through better partnering of the finance function with the rest of their organization. The pandemic, I think, has helped feature a lot of what the more forward-thinking organizations have known all along. And so for me, as 
a leader in finance that has been called into the ring to lead through transformations, this is something that was fairly apparent earlier on in my career, that force of change that was already there. It isn't new. I think it's being absorbed as new. And a lot of organizations are thinking of, you know, the pandemic as being the impetus for the rest of what's coming. But it really isn't new. I think if you look at organizations that are keeping costs of enablement functions lean, they have really put the time into that earlier investment. And they've thought of it as a multi-year payoff journey versus one that you look at in kind of a singular year. The other question, and I, I just want to make sure that I address this, you were asking about how can organizations think about adoption of technology. And one big thing that I will point to is that the entrepreneurs or the organizations that adopt technology with success are the ones that are getting advice up front. They're getting advice on the tools that are out there. They're understanding the full cost of adoption, not just looking at whatever the sticker says at the beginning. They're really thinking uh, full costing. They're also thinking about measuring the benefits that that technology is meant to bring. So if there are claims around what the technology being brought in is aiming to do, they're really taking the time to talk to other adopters to say, did you see that change? How much was that change worth to you? They're also taking the time to really understand their specific user needs. So if you're talking as an entrepreneur, as a business owner to other organizations or other adopters of technology, it's critically important to understand how different your needs are or how similar your needs are. And there are mentors out there. I think this the key thing that is important to recognize is that taking the time to network and find the appropriate mentors in the Canadian space, and I'll speak from the smaller tech organizations perspective, this is a huge advantage. And organizations like Mars are helping to enable the community to think of itself more as a community. But beyond just tech, I think taking the time to seek out the advice upfront, and a lot of that is free. There's immense value to that. And it also means that a lot of the deferred decisions, because entrepreneurs are too scared <laughs> to take on something that might feel like, oh, a lot of additional work and thinking in the short term, a lot of that burden can be lifted through a community of, of mentors. And Canada is known for this, especially uh, lately. I think this is a great time to be out there to seek advice. I can't say enough about what uh, I've experienced in the tech community just on the mentorship side of things. Really great advice for small business owners. I just wanted to summarize some of it. I really like that cost to late adoption. As a small business person myself with my own business, that was all travel, <laughs> hotels, trains, planes, and automobiles that all came to a halt uh, as the pandemic stopped the travel. Thinking about technology and having to move for me to webinars and videos, it didn't feel easy because there was some resistance to the way things were. I liked the, the way things were, but this this idea of the cost delayed adoption, which is an opportunity cost. I think it's a really important one for small businesses to consider because they might not consider it, as you said, that it's a real cost. Then the advice on 
communication, the community, and getting advice up front. And I really like the fact you said a, a, an important word for small business owners and entrepreneurs, free, right? Getting advice within your community. And you've you've seen that in, in the tech community. So I think that's fantastic. And hopefully, as listeners are hearing you, they'll maybe think about this, maybe reach out to someone in their community, in their business community, or somebody else. Mentorship is, is free and important. I also want to ask, you've had a lot of successes in the organizations that you've been a part of. What have you seen within those organizations, the individuals that you've been around that has helped that success, that includes you as well? And what could a small business owner take from that that they could apply during this time? I'm answering this question from the lens of a partner or the partner that I've been uh, to the business or that I've tried to be, or I'd like to think I've been. So the three that jumped out at me, the first one is actually on listening and absorbing. I think entrepreneurs, as they're thinking about who their key partners are in the business, they need a listener and an absorber. And that really comes down to having somebody who understands their vision and their excitement, but also relates to their fears and their pains. Because I think those are the two sides. And entrepreneurs are an interesting breed of individuals. And there is both sides to this, right? So you want to make sure if you're partnering with an entrepreneur that you're listening for both of those and you're trying to understand not just the excitement, but also the risks or the things that are keeping them up at night. And on the flip side, as, as an entrepreneur, if you're evaluating folks in the organization or to bring in folks, I think it's important to make sure that you're looking for those qualities. So that's the first one. The second one I think is around storytelling, right? So the role of a good finance professional in partnering with an entrepreneur is being able to tell the story back to the entrepreneur using the, the data and the insights that are coming out, but also externally because entrepreneurs need advocates. They need to be able to tell stories to outside folks, such as banks or investors, depending on the size of an organization. So being able to retell a story in a way that ties back to that vision. And that storyteller role is different depending on who the audience is. If you're dealing with the entrepreneur directly, it's important to be able to speak in facts and figures, but in a way that tells the story of the so what. What is the importance of the financial information or the metrics that you're bringing back for the entrepreneur? If it's the banks, again, being able to, to tell the story of risk. If it's investors, it's where's the organization going? Where's the growth potential and what insights are there right now to validate that strategy and to speak to the execution of that strategy that's that's taking place? And then lastly, it's The role is around alignment. It's really helping use numbers and uh, metrics as a tool to bring alignment to the decision makers in the business. Because often what you'll find is there's divergent views in organizations and taking the time, again, the listening part, taking the time to both listen and then also be able to storytell and take a view to what is really happening in the organization to bring alignment through metrics to organizations. I think that's a very crucial role that good leaders, good analytical leaders are bringing to the rest of their organization. 
those three really resonated with me. Listening, storytelling, alignment. And storytelling for me is, and I, I don't know if all entrepreneurs and small business owners are like this. I think there's a, an acronym for learners, VARC, visual, auditory, reading, kinesthetic. And I'm very much on the V side. I, I like to think in images and visualize. And if I can tell that story, I feel not only a growing sense of confidence, motivation, that other people might be able to help me with my story. And I, I thought that was a great point of thinking about your organization, your journey, the challenges, and, and finding a way to partner and with these three tips of uh, listening, storytelling, alignment. The next part, because we have a lot of great experiences with different organizations helping these organizations in different phases, is that you have seen different organizations and you have been part of successful organizations in different growth phases. And part of the stress of what might be happening for some small business owners might be around their culture and what they might be trying to maintain with their workplace culture as there might be turnover and other stresses. And I was wondering for you and your experience, what have you seen that makes a positive or successful workplace culture? On this one, I think one of the biggest differentiators that I've seen in organizations and I've worked in across the gamut in terms of leadership styles and cultures. But one of the biggest differentiators that I've seen, and it seems like it's a very relevant concept in particular during the pandemic, is this concept of empathy. And so I'll break that down into two parts. I think organizations that have great empathy for their employees are set apart. But those are usually also the same organizations that bring an empathetic lens to the customer experience. And so I can speak to the tactics of my current employer, Point Click Care, just around some examples to this, because it might be good to bring home with a few kind of core examples. But before I do that, I just want to point out that this concept, while it's relevant during the pandemic, it's actually been a differentiator for many organizations, ours included, prior. So Point Click Care has, has had a great history of success, in particular over the last five to 10 years. We're one of the largest software homegrown companies in Canada. We're quietly one of the largest. And it might surprise some folks on the call to hear that while we're quiet, we're actually on the Forbes 100 list, which means we're one of the top 100 SaaS providers in North America, right? A Canadian company that is servicing North America's market with a SaaS product. And I'll take us back to the question you just asked around culture. I think culture is a huge differentiator for Point Click Care and notably other organizations as well. But in, in particular, with the examples that I promised, the first one, and I'm about eight months into my tenure at Point Click Care. So if you do the math, you will know that I started, I actually started the day we all went into hiding from the pandemic. So that was a very unique lens on the organization. You join the organization at one of the most high stress times, any organization in Canada or the world during that week in particular, during that month in particular, was going through immense stress. And so what did I see in coming in as a new employee? The First thing that happened that month, and that was in March, that was roughly around the mid-year mark for us. We're not on a calendar year end, so it was roughly mid-year. The executive actually declared a mid-year bonus. And that was, you know, as a finance person walking in, I thought, okay, this is a very interesting thing that's happening. <laughs> I'm gonna try to figure out where's the rationale to this and how are we justifying this? So we're a fairly successful organization, cash flow positive, 
And, you know, while still from a sales perspective, we were under stress and we knew that selling to the senior care market, software to the senior care market, one of the most under stress parts of the global economy, that that would be difficult. We knew we were cash flow positive and we knew that a lot of our employees, their spouses or family members had either lost jobs or they were in precarious situations where they would potentially lose jobs coming up. And so reassuring the employee base that we were committed to them, that was incredibly important. So mid-year bonus, when we normally pay bonuses at year end, with the messaging that we are here for you, we have been very successful because of your hard work up to this mid-year point. And so distributing that bonus early was meant to calm the nerves of employees that were feeling quite afraid and to really bring them to the table so that we could execute on the rest of our strategy, which was to be there for our customers in an empathetic way that in the end translates into great financial performance as well. So on the other side, what happened with our customers, if, if you ask? So at that point, management also decided to not actively sell because it would come across quite tone deaf if we were to have our sales folks still doing the same things as the pandemic was raging on, as we were doing you know, the month before. And so in its place, we actually placed our sales folks on customer initiatives, outreach to say, what can we do for you? And in the end, what that resulted in is, is two things. One, we had employees step up. We do have a lot of nurses on staff who are working in customer care or even in sales. And we had employees step up to say, I'd like to go to the front lines. I'd like to support the senior care community. They're under stress. These are organizations I work with regularly. I'd like to be there for them in my state or province. So we saw a number of employees step up to do that. The other thing that happened is we heard from customers that certain products that we had either just built or we were just about to finish, in particular, an infection control product that we had built, that they really could use access to a product like that. We rolled out a freemium, actually. And so for, I think it was a six-month period, three, a three to six-month period, we offered products that we normally charge for. We offer them as, as a premium. And in the end, this empathy actually ended up being an immense part of our success to come because as we think about what's happening in 2021, which is a year we're just kicking off, a lot of these clients are actually interested in products they had never tried. That freemium experience, which was that pivot that we offered the customer, that helped us gain the credibility from our customers during a crucial time where we otherwise would have had no ability to put ourselves out there. So our sales tactics, if you think about it, they completely changed as a result of the pandemic. And interestingly, as a result of this unforeseen circumstance, we learned a lot about how the customer prefers to experience products, touch and feel them in advance. And so we're now in the process of applying those learnings to how do we change our sales process as a result of you know, what we've learned. And it goes far beyond the months that could be ahead for us in the pandemic. I think there's quite a bit of learning. So I think that these are good examples of pivots with empathy that have really worked for our organizations such as ours. Yeah, these are really great examples. And because when we talk about empathy, it sometimes feels esoteric, doesn't feel like tangible. And you gave us tangible examples of it, of a point-click care 
the mid-year bonus. And the trickle-down effect, you said employees stepped up and, and I imagine they felt motivated. And that would also work on the customer side as well. And so I was also curious, as you came in new to this to this organization and you saw this, how, how did you feel about it when you saw the mid-year bonus being provided during the pandemic where a lot of organizations might not have done that? How did that affect you and, and your views of the organization as you entered? It was an interesting time, I will tell you, because I, I came in both obviously as an employee and, an, and a leader in finance, right? And to me, it was a really clear example of how focusing just on numbers and profits is not necessarily the long-term indicator of success. And so if you think about it in the short term, the impact to our cash or our profitability of declaring a bonus in a year where we may not, we didn't have enough visibility to say, okay, by the end of the year, you know, we're going to be at X spot, you know? So in the short-term sense, I really recognize that this is a long-term bet on employees and their ability to influence our success and outcomes in the three to five year strategy. And for us as an organization, passion and uh, that comes down to employees is one of our core values. And it was interesting to be able to see that core value in week one at Point Click Care and in such a very real and tangible way that for me, this is a, a lesson and a learning that I'm going to take into the rest of my career. Because as much as I'd like to say that, you know, the last two decades of my career, I had natively understood that concept. I can't say that that was true prior to seeing this example and what it led to. As I said, we've had a lot of successes that came as a result of, you know, what our employees were able to achieve in during tough times, you know, the conversations that we're having with our customers are very different than the type of conversations that take place during a pandemic with stress on both sides. And so we were really able to shift the dynamic of who we are in market as a result of this, you called it esoteric, but as a result of this concept of empathy. And for me, I'd never seen that in play in such a crisp way. So it's a learning I take with me to the rest of my career. That's a really powerful message. When uh, we talked about culture to enter this this conversation. And I think you've, you've mentioned this a few times during our conversation, looking ahead. And it, I think it's hard for a lot of small business owners to find that longer term view for their business and the stakeholders around them. But you've given us some really great and positive examples of trying to make that look a little bit ahead, uh, both maybe for empathy and also looking at, at technology. Even though it's hard, the benefits hopefully will be there uh, as, you, as we move along. So that's, again, really, really great insight. And one of the things that we've been asking all of our guests on our, on our podcast to keep things positive, it is a stressful time, as you've mentioned, and you've given a lot of great insights, experiences, and and points for small business owners to consider. And there are actually a lot of them are already very positive. We end with this last question. What is one thing you would tell small, medium business owners to help them stay positive during this challenging time? This one was an interesting one, just in the list of questions that you had sent me. And it's probably the one that I gave the most thought to. As I was jotting down notes for this, I I had a a memory of an earlier 
conversation that I had with an entrepreneur who I admire in the tech industry. And he was talking to me about the stress that his organization's under and just his reaction to it. And it, it stood out for me. And I think it exemplifies what I'm about to share. And it has a lot to do with this concept of understanding what is in our control and working towards optimal outcomes for that. And then accepting the pieces that are out of our control and knowing the difference. And and I think even just outside of an entrepreneurial capacity, I think most of us in our own personal reactions to what's happening with the pandemic, I think I can say I, I took a lot from that. I'm not an entrepreneur. I support entrepreneurs, but I know on a personal level that this message really resonated with me. And I think most of us who are familiar with the serenity prayer can kind of recall that one. I'll share for the audience in case folks on the call aren't familiar with that one. So the serenity prayer is a prayer that's written by an American theologian. His name is Reynold Neighbor, and it goes as this. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think this concept for entrepreneurs, but also the rest of us as those who are working to support entrepreneurs or just as humans, I think this is a very important distinction that we should all try to make. Sometimes it's that last part, the wisdom to know the difference. I think that is ultimately where it's hard um, because it is easy to know the things that you have control over. Uh, It's hard to accept the ones you don't, but sometimes that's also easy to identify, but just the difference and saying, okay, this is in this bucket and the rest is in the other bucket. And the controllable factors, I think that's what we can all double down on. And I, I think taking away the the attention that we may be spending on what is uncontrollable and reallocating that energy, turning it into positive energy into what we can control, really going with the pivots on that side. I think that is where I landed with the notes on this question. What a wonderful sentiment. I look to that serenity poem now and again for that uh for that sage wisdom on what we control and and the wisdom to know the difference. And I think that's absolutely a a great way to um, come to an end of our conversation to provide that wisdom to our small to medium business uh, owners, entrepreneurs, and other listeners. And I've learned so much from this conversation, Sai. It's it's been really great. And I, I love the positivity you brought to to your advice and to to bring in your experiences. I've written down a lot of things and I the things that resonated with me uh, from your experience, you talked about communication and how important that is and mentors and really looking for advice, maybe seeking advice with the community and you've been part of the tech community and that's been an important part of what you've seen with successes. And with your culture, your corporate culture, what you saw at Point Click Care and all of the things that you saw just right in, to the beginning of your career there. Um, And you mentioned a word that's important to me, but you provided a real great example of how to functionalize that with empathy and how important that is for small, medium business owners to to think about and also maybe functionalize around their stakeholders. And the other uh, note that I, I wrote down from our conversation is just doing as much as we can to think about the long term. You mentioned the cost of the cost of late adoption and, and thinking about things we can do today that might be difficult, might take time, might be some cost, but the cost might be greater if we 
don't try to, to make those those changes, those uh, transformations. So that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much, Sai. I really appreciate your, your time today. Thank you for the opportunity to reflect and share. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Sai, for sharing your journey and your best practices in future-proofing businesses to withstand uncertain landscapes such as what we are dealing with today. To our listeners, you can click to resources mentioned in this podcast in the description for this podcast in your podcast app. Please note, this is a recorded podcast. The views expressed by our guests are theirs alone. The information presented is current as of the date of the recording. New and changing government restrictions and assistance programs may have come into effect since the recording date. Please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information. Thank you to the amazing producers of Mastery Money, Mike Massoud and Catherine Crawford, whose hard work and care behind the scenes makes this podcast possible. This has been another podcast of Mastery Money, the Educator's Edition, brought to you by Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Please rate and review us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. In these uncertain times, be well, be kind, be safe. We are on this journey together.